0: Author, professor, prophet, and queen, Barbara Brown Taylor says, hope in the past tense is one of the saddest sounds a human being can make. We had hoped. I love this story. I love this gospel story. It feels like one of the few scripture narratives we get from beginning to end. No interruptions, no additional commentary. Just a lovely and rich story that if you close your eyes, you can picture it happening while you listen. So I want to begin like I often do, which is setting the scene. So let's start with a when. It's a good way to do it. This whole story starts with the words now on that same day, which of course doesn't make any sense out of context, so this just proves me true every time I say context matters. Thank you very much. Same day as what? Easter. It's still Easter. So in the church, we are still in Easter season. I was reminded this week, actually, that. What would it look like if we took you know lent is 40 days and we spend our 40 days in repentance and renewal and then we do one day of easter and then we kind of move on but easter is 50 days long it's 10 more days of partying than lent is that's intentional so we should keep the easter spirit flowing we're still in easter happy easter there we go great so Same day as Easter is when this story is happening, right? A quick jump up in the paragraph in Luke's 24th chapter shows the story takes place on the same day as the tomb is found empty. The same day, two angels say, why are you here? Jesus is risen. So even though the story is coming to us two weeks after Easter, in Luke's account, it is still the same day. So next is where. They're on the road to Emmaus, which is a tiny town outside of Jerusalem, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. We hear, if you need context for this distance, which I certainly do, if you were hanging out in downtown Minneapolis and you started walking up 94, when you hit 694 and 252, you'd have walked about seven miles. Or if you just decided to start walking up 81 from right here this morning, by the time you got to the swimming pond inside of Elm Creek Park, that would be about seven miles. So you can, it's doable, right? It's doable. It takes about two, two and a half hours. At a good, you know, a good pace. It's fine, good pace. So seven miles. You have that distance in your head now. The who is the two of them. We don't know the name of one. We get one's name is Cleopas, which using context clues we can kind of figure out that these are two guys who hung out with Jesus but are not as we often here made clear one of the 12. So they are disciples, but not, you know, disciples, right? If you know what I mean, they're not like the big guys. They're there, they're there, they're around. The what? This is a walk and talk, it's my jam. Walk and talks are my jam. They are trying to process what they have heard and seen and experienced. I do this twice a week with my friend Katie at my favorite trail in Minneapolis. Sometimes we get out of our cars and we say, oh, do I have a story for you? And then we start walking and we regularly get about two miles down the river before we realize how far we've gone. Walk and talk, that's what they're doing. And the why? We don't really know the answer to this one. Why are they leaving Jerusalem on this particular day? After hearing the news that the tomb was empty, they still left? This makes no sense to me. But there they go. They haven't seen Jesus yet in Luke's Gospel. No one has in Luke's Gospel at this point. Not Mary, not the disciples, not Thomas. No one has seen Jesus yet. So here we go, the scene is set. We encounter these two guys on the road to Emmaus having a walk and talk and a stranger comes up alongside them and he says, what are you talking about? First, the stranger is Jesus, but they don't know it. I do not think he was wearing a clown costume. I want to be very clear, but I do think clowns did exist in that time, so there were court jesters. We had a little chat over in our section. They might have existed, but they don't know this is Jesus. Jesus. I think the first question we would all ask at this point in the story is the same, which is how would you not know it's Jesus, right? And when he starts talking to them, and even later as he's teaching them, they still don't recognize him. It seems impossible that they don't know who this is. But I wanna offer just a moment of grace this morning for these two disciples. Because this is just 48 hours after they saw him killed. Barely two days. They are deep in fear and grief and carrying the weight of trauma. These things fear, grief, trauma they make us unable to see and hear and understand. Anyone who has lost a loved one or experienced a traumatic event knows this feeling. You are changed. And when you are at the very start, nothing looks or feels or sounds the same. So we'll start with a bit of grace for these two. Many of us have been there. Now, continuing on, this stranger walks with them and asks what they're talking about, and the text says they stood still. I like to imagine they they full stop and like Jesus runs into them a little. I think that'd be funny. And they look at Jesus and they're like, dude, this is all anyone is talking about. Where have you been? But they give him the TLDR, the too long, didn't read, of what's just gone on in Jerusalem, and while they're doing that, uh, they speak what, Pastor, author, former professor David Loos calls the three saddest words in all of Scripture. We had hoped. Author, professor, prophet, and queen Barbara Brown Taylor says hope in the past tense is one of the saddest sounds a human being can make. We had hoped. Now, it's not just that these three words matter because they're sad or because we all haven't uttered that same broken hope out loud at some point. Heck, I've preached a whole sermon on those three words before. But the what they had hoped for in this context really matters as well. They said to Jesus, we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. They had hoped he was the Messiah. And do you know what Messiahs definitely don't do? They don't die. Messiahs do not die. Certainly not in such a violent, public, awful way. Messiahs are supposed to save. They are supposed to liberate. They are not supposed to die. We had hoped he was the one who would save us. And Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus, basically is like, oh, you guys, I can't believe you again, oh my gosh. In the Greek, he basically calls them idiots. It's pretty harsh, I will say. I don't think it's quite fair, but we'll just leave it at that. Um, Also, it's kind of funny, as we, the reader, we know who's talking to them, but the stranger walking with them says, haven't you understood anything scripture says? Do I have to spell it out for you? And the answer is yes, absolutely, he does. Again, grace abounds for these two disciples. I feel them so hard. So they keep walking and this stranger, Jesus, stranger Jesus, reteaches them everything he has already taught them. This is my favorite part of the story, because boy, do we need to hear something more than once before we get it to. And as he's teaching them all the things about himself is the line in this text. I think that's so funny. He's like telling them all about him. (laughs) It's great. And they still don't realize it's him. Seeing and hearing and understanding, virtually impossible in deep grief. But they do think this guy is something special. They're not sure why. They might not quite understand it. They don't know what's happening really, but they do feel a little something that makes them want to hang out with him longer. So they ask him to stay. Stay with us as we have a meal. So he joins them in their home for a meal. And as they sit around the table, this guest makes himself the host, which I could spend a whole sermon on how this is not how this usually goes. Guest never becomes host. That is appalling if you are the owner of that home. And he takes the loaf of bread and he breaks it and he shares it and just when they were like, hey, wait a minute, he's gone. I love the disappearing Jesus is a delightful note of this story as well. Jesus is not made known in teaching or preaching, not in seeing or hearing, but in the ordinary moment of sitting around a table and sharing a meal. I find so much comfort and grace in knowing this is something we all do all the time. It's a regular, ordinary thing. We all know how to do this. We don't need to go looking or searching. We don't need to listen to all the TED Talks or the fancy sermons. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to read the whole Bible. You don't need to take all all the classes, learn all the theology. You need only to break bread together. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote about this gospel story. The blindness of the two disciples does not keep their Christ from coming to them. He does not limit his post-resurrection appearances to those with full confidence in him. He comes to the disappointed, the doubtful, the disconsolate. He comes to those who do not know their Bibles, who do not recognize him even when they are walking right beside him. He comes to those who have given up and are headed back home, which makes this story a story about the blessedness of brokenness. Isn't that beautiful? The blessedness of brokenness. If that isn't the good news of this story, I don't know what is. Jesus is made known in the breaking, in the most broken people and places. Jesus doesn't require them to know all the things or believe all the things or to say the right thing. They actually do the opposite in the entire story, throughout the whole thing. They tell the risen Jesus they had hoped Jesus would be the Messiah. It's hilarious if you think about it. I find so much comfort in this story where Jesus comes to them, listens to them tell his entire story, despite him knowing the ending that they haven't figured out yet, that makes all the difference, he comes and listens to their theories and broken hearts and fearful spirits. Now, as much as the walk and talk is totally my jam, it's not actually the part of the story that matters at all. One of my professors at Luther Seminary once said, we need to be careful not to talk so much that we miss the moment in this story. I happen to think that's pretty great advice right now. Everyone has something to say, right? A hot take, a personal opinion about the world, about our country, about this church. We're doing a lot of talking. But maybe we are doing so much talking that we miss the moment. Because Jesus, much to my dismay, was not made known in the walk and talk Jesus was made known in the breaking of the bread. Jesus is made known in the breaking of the bread. We know this already. Why do you think so many of our meals are around big holidays? Big holidays are celebrated with a big meal. We do this all the time. It matters that when Jesus came to the disciples on that dusty road to Emmaus, he didn't make himself known until they were around a table. Again, Barbara Brown Taylor says, Jesus seems to prefer working with broken people, with broken dreams and a broken world. If someone hands him a full loaf, he will take it, bless it, break it, and give it. To show the rest of us to take what we've been given, whether we like it or not, to bless it, to say thank you, whether it is the sweet, satisfying bread of success or the tear-soaked bread of sorrow, to say thank you and break it because that is the only way it can be shared, to hand it around, to not eat it all by ourselves, but to find someone to eat it with so that the broken loaf may bring all of us broken ones together into one body where we recognize the risen Lord in our midst. Now this would be the perfect time to have surprise communion on a non-communion Sunday. I fully understand that. I was like, wait, there's not a communion Sunday this Sunday and I was really disappointed. And then I realized, listen, that's actually better because the point of this story is that Jesus showed up in the breaking of the bread, in the sharing of the meal and that doesn't just mean communion. That means all the meals and all the times we gather and eat together. Jesus is made known every time we gather, share share. And are with each other around a table it's coffee hour and waffle breakfasts it's potlucks and food truck festivals every time we break bread together jesus is made known every time so we're going to practice this morning uh, allison helped me bake some bread this weekend and uh and so did turtle bread in my neighborhood um, So I'm gonna have loaves of bread. Look, they're bread babies, aren't they so cute? I did swaddle them. So the reason they're swaddled is because you need to hold on to it on the towel so you're not touching a part that you're not gonna eat, okay, we're gonna do this smartly. Um, People who are with us online, go get some bread, join us in this part. I'm gonna give uh, a loaf of bread to each section and you're gonna tear a piece of bread off. Look, this is a lot of bread, so I believe You can tear off as much as you want, that's fine. Don't be, this is abundance. We believe in abundance here, so don't be stingy. Don't do like this tiny little, like don't do that. Don't do that, don't do that. Do a big, do a big piece of bread. That's what you want. So you're gonna tear off a piece of bread. You're gonna hand it to the people behind you. You're just gonna pass it around. We're gonna pass it around. One per section, pass it around the sections. They're going to sing a song, and we're going to share bread. We're going to break bread right now, and Christ is going to be known in this space. But we're going to end this with a poem by John O'Donohue called Grace After Meals. But keep passing the bread around, truly. Keep doing it. Take your big big chunk of bread and keep eating. We end this meal with grace for the joy and nourishment of food, the slowed time away from the world to come into presence with each other and sense the subtle lives behind our faces, the different colors of our voices, the edges of hunger we keep quiet, the circle of love that unites us. We pray the wise spirit who keeps us to change the structures that make others hunger and that after such grace, We might now go forth and impart dignity wherever we partake. Amen. All right, so if you want more bread, it's going to be over by the coffee table. Feel free to take another chunk if you thought it was really delicious. That's the way we're supposed to do this. Uh, I want you to know that when I watched what was happening, I saw lots of smiles and laughter and big hellos as the bread was passed. And to me, that is Jesus showing up in our midst. It might have been a little like, oh, can you believe what Natalia is making us do? And also it was the way Jesus shows up. I think so many of us like to think like, oh, I would totally recognize Jesus if Jesus was walking alongside me. But the reality is it's happening all the time because each one of you is made in the image of God and so God is always among us. So how we make God known among us is by sharing a meal together. We just did it. We're going to do it again. You're going to go outside and do it even more and with that we have been fed and now we are sent to go in peace to love and serve the Lord.